you know, these actors and actresses, if you've ever followed some of their careers, they do some pretty crazy things sometimes in order to prepare for a role, things that are, that are really difficult. Jamie Foxx, when he was uh, filming Ray Charles, they put prosthetic eyelids on Jamie Foxx all during the filming that simulated being blind. And so he couldn't see all during, on the sets and things like that, to the, to the comedic point that oftentimes people on the crew would forget that he had those on and would leave him on the stage thinking, you know, he's, there's nobody really blind here, but he would be left and couldn't see. He also, for that role, lost 30 pounds in one week in order to prepare for that role, which is scary. I don't know. I, he uh, learned all of the piano parts for the movie as well. That's a lot of, uh, of difficult things to do. Natalie Portman, when she was filming Black Swan, in order to prepare for that role, she spent eight hours a day, six days a week, for 12 months with one-on-one -on -one ballet training. Now, you know, we would go, oh, yeah, we work a job eight hours a day, some of us six days a week. We're talking about pretty intense physical commitment to learn ballet. Shia LaBeouf, when he was getting ready for the film movie Fury, uh, went and trained with the National Guard. And in the, in the midst of preparing for that, he didn't bathe for four months. That's, <laughs> that's some commitment right there. Uh, not just from him, but from everyone on his team. Daniel Day-Lewis, in my left foot, when he filmed that, he stayed in between shoots in his wheelchair all the time, had people uh, spoon feed him. And whenever he was in the wheelchair, he had the cast carry him around to the different places that he needed to go because he wasn't going to break character, committed to nailing this role. Anne Hathaway, when she filmed Les Miserables, I don't really know how to say that. Did I say that right? Hey, all right. I'm cultured. Um, she shaved her head, which pretty big deal for a female, I would think. Lost 25 pounds and also subsisted on two uh, oatmeal paste crackers a day as she was getting ready for that role. I mean, all of those actors and actresses did all of those things, disciplined themselves to not eat or to work out or to not bathe, all because they wanted to uh, nail this role that would, would create an experience for the movie viewer. Well, four weeks ago, we started this series about Grow Up, and in week one, we talked about faith. And we said, that, hey, we had to have a big faith in order to grow spiritually. We had to have a, a big trust in God that when God says this, that we believe him and we're going to move in that direction. And then we followed it up in week two and we said that doing the word is way more important than just knowing the word. That it, that it is better for us to grow spiritually if we will apply the word when we read to our life than just to come to a Bible study or just open up and read it, take notes and, and walk away. And last week, we've been talking what our students are finishing in their uh, small groups today, we talked about relationships, that God has put some providential relationships in our lives, some people along the way that, that will help you grow spiritually, and that we need to start looking at our relationships from the perspective of what direction is this relationship taking me. Now, if you missed any of those weeks and you want to go back and catch up, they're on the Youth Ministry website, they're on iTunes, you can get a little bit more in-depth discussion and go back to the Scripture and get some application points. But we come today to this fourth week of what, what will help us to grow up and we're talking about spiritual disciplines. Disciplines are things that we do, hopefully in a habitual sense, that lead us to a desired outcome. And most of the time, they're not easy. Just like for these actors and actresses, they're not, they're not simple things. 
Now, you've, you know some spiritual disciplines. You may not have ever called them spiritual disciplines, but there are some spiritual disciplines that you're aware of you might even do. Some ones that, that people know really well might be like reading the Scripture. That would be a discipline that we do. That every day, I open up the Word and I read it. That's a, that's a common one. There might be some spiritual disciplines that you've heard of before that you may have never practiced, like fasting. You've heard of fasting, right? Going without food, or some people will use other things to, for a, an intended spiritual outcome. And then there's some spiritual disciplines that people have come up with that you may have never even heard of. You may go, I don't know what that is, like the discipline of secrecy or the discipline of solitude. You might go, what? Now, there's no formal list anywhere. There's no list out there that we can go, okay, I've done all of them now. Different people have done different things to help them grow habits, activities they've done to help them grow and become more like Jesus. And so we talk about them today and this week with our students because a lot of times when you hear somebody's faith story, you're going to hear about people in their life, like we talked about last week, but you're also going to hear some things that they started to do that helped move them forward. They might be telling their story and they'll say, you know, it was, it was when I learned this about prayer and I started doing it that everything changed. Or it might be what I mentioned earlier. I finally started reading my Bible. As I read my Bible, God started to open up his heart to me and I began to realize that some things in my life needed to change. People have stories along the way of these things that they've done. We're calling those spiritual disciplines that have helped them become more like Jesus. Now, the problem is the word discipline is not a word we like. And when we think about discipline, it usually leaves like a bad taste in our mouth, like even from a positive spin. You might think of a positive discipline, like I think of a cross-country runner, somebody that's made a commitment to this goal, I want to win this race, and, and they get up at 4.30 every morning to go outside in shorts that are too short for 50-degree weather, and they go and they run 7 miles, 10 miles, 12 miles, or something like that. And it, they have to be careful with what they eat because they want to put the right kind of fuel inside their body, especially as they're coming up towards a race. Because they get up at 4.30, they go to, they go to bed early. And so they come in from school or maybe it's an adult training for a marathon or something like that, same principle. And they don't stay up clearing out shows on their DVR because they've got to go to bed because they've got to wake up at 4.30. When we hear stories like that, we go, man, that person is, they're a disciplined person. Because we would say, many of us, the alarm went off at 4.30, I'm going to snooze it 17 times and get up at 7, you know, or, or whatever is a more manageable time. So that doesn't leave a, like a, exciting feel for us. And then there, and that's, that's kind of positive view of discipline. The other side of discipline is when you've done something wrong and you had to discipline your kids or if you remember back to when you were a child, you had to be disciplined. Like in my home growing up with a dad that was in the military and a mom who was a school principal, a pretty disciplined home. That was back in the days of corporal punishment, the good old days I say that because I actually made it through school without getting it. Um, but we had a rule in our house that affected why I never got my rear end spanked at school. Because the rule in our house was, if you get a SWAT at school, you're getting one at home for putting the teacher out. Teacher had to stop class and take you in the hallway and whip you. Then when you get home, you're going to get round two. And so that, that for me, not for my older brothers, so I also learned from them, but for me was a, was a pretty good deterrent. But I will never forget sixth grade gym, PE class, Coach Emmanuel, 
former Dallas Cowboy, like, practice squad player. At least that was the rumors through our junior high. Huge monster of a man. He was probably like 5'7". I mean, sixth grade, they look really big anyway. But I just remember him being jacked. And, and uh, he, didn't, he didn't speak. He only yelled. You know, that's, he didn't have a normal conversation with anyone. And, and everyone was afraid of getting spanked, paddled by Coach Emmanuel because we knew that with the muscles on that right arm, he might literally break the paddle off on us. And so Jim, P.E., was sir, yes, sir, on a regular basis. We had a kid in my class. His name was Jimmy. And I was a little sixth-grade guy. Uh, Jimmy was the littlest guy, but he had that little man syndrome, and he, he, he was kind of the bully in sixth grade. And I remember walking into, from, we're coming in from the gym, we're going to the locker room to change, and I don't remember what happened. I just remember that Jimmy came up and shoved me into a wall. And my natural reaction was to throw a knee to his man parts, which was extremely effective in ending that fight. And I remember him crumpling to the ground, and I remember thinking, yes, took the bully down. And about two minutes later, as I've walked in, I'm starting to change, Coach Emmanuel calls for Jimmy and for Brett to come to his office. And I knew fighting was going to end in, in the paddle. And all of a sudden, like, I mean, my, my great victory went to fear and trembling because I thought, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die today at Maynard Middle School in the office of Coach Emmanuel. Luckily for me, which isn't really part of the story, but you'll want to know how it ends. Luckily for me, Coach Emmanuel realized that taking the bully down and nobody got swatched. So that was my one, my one chance at it. But I'm glad I didn't have it. Had I, it would have definitely uh, helped me to understand what I already knew, that fighting was not going to be okay. Because that was what the, the, the purpose for discipline was. And not just that, but I knew that if I got it there again, I'm going to get it at home. And so understanding that discipline, which I actually avoided, but knowing that it was there, knowing that was the standard, helped me make better decisions for a better intended outcome. And that's why, right, that we, you discipline your kids. is isn't because you hate them. I mean, they think that's why. But it's not. It's because you see them making a, a mistake, and so you bring in some discipline to course correct because what you're trying to do is create some subconscious habits in their life that set them up for future success, Right? You ground them when they don't turn in their homework, take their phone away, put them, you know, what, you know, take the Xbox away, whatever, because you don't want them to be 25 and not getting their work done because you know that the, the outcome there is way worse than it is now. We, we understand that. That's discipline. It's creating habits, whether they be a cross-country runner getting up and running or the negative side that, that says, hey, we're going to correct things because we want success in the future. But very few of those things create a positive image in our mind. So when we talk about spiritual disciplines, creating habits that give us an intended spiritual outcome, we've got to get over this hump that they're bad. Now, they're not easy, but they're not bad. In fact, they're fantastic. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 6, because we're going to discover this week that spiritual disciplines grow our faith. Not only do they grow our faith, but they help us see the heart of God and help us see our heart as well. So that's kind of the bottom line for this week. But in Matthew chapter 6, we're back to the Sermon on the Mount where we've spent a lot of time during the series. And Jesus is going to talk about two different spiritual disciplines. Again, not an exhaustive list anywhere in the Bible. 
even if there was, we couldn't handle them all in, in one week. We're not even going to be able to handle both of these in detail this week. But we're going to get kind of a, a cursory look at them and see where we're going to go. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says this. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness. And I want you to think of practicing your righteousness as, as spiritual disciplines. Beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. It's kind of setting up. He says, hey, you got you to you have a, an attitude check here. If you're going to read your Bible, you need to read your Bible so that you can know God better and be a better disciple, not so that you can walk around and, and tell everybody, well, yeah, I've just uh, finished the Bible for the 17th time. I've read it cover to cover. How many times have you read it? Jesus says, hey, listen, you got to have an, an attitude check, a motive check, because this is not about <coughs> you, and it's not about the way people see you. Spiritual disciplines, practicing righteousness, the way Jesus terms it, they, they're about your heart and God's heart and those two things connecting. And then Jesus is going to give us some, some, a little bit of talk on two different disciplines. So here's one, verse two. He says, thus, or because of that, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, you, that, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who's, who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus gives us a spiritual discipline. He says, here's a way that you practice righteousness. Here's how you create a habit to become more like me. He says, you, you give. You meet needs that, that people have. And, and in this instance, he, he's talking financially. Now, that may be, uh, there may be other ways to meet needs that fall under the category of the spiritual discipline of giving. But Jesus is talking about finances here. And he says, he says if you want to grow up, if you want to have a spiritual maturity, then you have to have the heart of God. And when God sees a need, God has a heart for the need. And as you grow up spiritually, you're going to develop a heart for needs as well. And when you develop heart for needs, you give to make those needs go away. But he goes back immediately as he says it. You realize Jesus talks less about giving here as he does the attitude. And he says, hey, when you do it, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. This is not about letting everybody know how much you gave for Hurricane Harvey relief. Jesus says, hey, if, if your desire is for everybody to know that, that you and your kids are helping alleviate human trafficking by, by supporting the A21 ministry that we've been talking about in Wednesday nights during this series and talk about at camp, if, if that's your goal, hey, man, we, we just wrote a check for $5,000, so things are a little tight around here because we chose not to go to the movies this week to, to help slaves. Jesus says, hey, people are going to be wowed by that. They're going to go, man, you gave $5,000. Oh, my goodness, that's incredible. And Jesus says, and you know what? there's your reward. You're not going to grow up. You're not going to see the blessing of my work in your life. You're not even going to develop my heart for people because your heart wasn't really for slaves. Your heart wasn't really for hurricane relief. Your heart was really for everybody to know what you've done. And so that is going to be your reward. And I think it's important that we look back and Jesus spends way more time talking about that than he even does the, the spiritual discipline of giving. But at the same time, he gives us that. He helps us see that giving is, is something we can do to grow. Now, here's the thing. I want you to understand this. Most of us want to be known. 
I, like if you do something good, if you gave, most of us want the recognition. That, in fact, if you're just starting on your spiritual growth track, if you're starting to move towards maturity, that's more likely than it's not. Because we are in the process of killing ourselves and our selfish desires, which is what that is, to become more like Jesus. So listen, when I say this, if you go, gosh, that's me. Like, I, yeah, I think I do want to be known. I want, if I sacrifice, I want people to, it's okay that you want that. But Jesus gives you the opportunity to take the next step in growth. And he says, while you may want it, don't do it. While you may want the recognition, do it in secrecy. That is the practice. That is the discipline. It's giving, but also doing it where it's not about you, where it's about what, what God is doing. Here's another interesting thing. If you look back, look at verse two again. I think this is telling. Jesus says thus, when you give to the needy. You notice he didn't say if you give to the needy. For Jesus, this is just normal. For us, it's, it's opposite. Like, like we think, well, if I come into some money, if, if I win the lottery, if someone passes away and I inherit a fortune, if that happens, then I'll. But Jesus says, as a part of just talking to his disciples and the people here, the Sermon on the Mount, this, it was a foregone conclusion in Jesus' mind that giving was not a, a, an extra. It was not for those who had more money than others. He's talking to everyone. He says, when you give to the needy. There's an expectation. There's this understanding that as I'm following Jesus, and again, I said this earlier, if I, when I see needs, I'm going to become the hands and feet of Jesus and I'm going to meet those needs. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So we do it anyway. And here's why. There's a, there's a purpose for this. Let's just say that you went out tomorrow and you bought some stock in GM. Okay? You said, hey, I'm going to turn my, got some money, I'm going to invest it. I want to see, uh, I want to see some wins here. You buy some stock in GM, what, what happens to you? You start open up the newspaper, or get in the newspaper. We even have those anymore. You get online, and you start watching what's happening in GM stock. You, you might even set up a Google alert for General Motors so that you'll get an email if something happens. You start actually paying attention to and noticing cars, trucks, vehicles that General Motors makes because you're now a part owner of the company. You've now got a financial investment. You see what's happening here? I, I took my resources, my money, and I gave to a company, and now all of a sudden, I'm much more invested in that company, and I care about what's happening. I'm more aware of what they're doing. So track with us here when Jesus is saying, when you give, not only is giving a spiritual discipline that grows you, but it also helps you see the heart of God and where your heart is. Because all of a sudden, when you write a big check to Hurricane Harvey Relief or you write a check to A21, all of a sudden those things you start leaning into a little bit more because you want to know what's happening with your resources. You want to know that, that something good is, is being done because you invested. And all of a sudden our heart begins to change. We start caring less about the things of the world. We start caring more about the things of the Lord because we put our resources and leverage them to what God's doing. And we're now more in than we were before. So giving changes people's lives. It's, I mean, it's the, 
It's what the gospel is about, Jesus giving up everything for those who had nothing. And we join him in that, but it's not just because we're joining him, we're growing, but we're also transforming our heart. So Jesus says, not only do you need to do that, but you need to do it in secret. And look what he says in verse 5 and 6. He gives us a, another discipline. I told you we wouldn't stay on him very long. He says in, here it is again, when you pray, not if you pray, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now this is not Jesus talking in a negative about corporate prayer or praying aloud. We see that in other places of the scripture. But again, it's about our heart. Do we, when, when somebody asks, hey, can somebody close us in prayer? It is totally appropriate to volunteer and say, oh, I will. As long as your heart's right. As long as you want to be the person who is praying on behalf of your small group or your family or things like that, <clears throat> and it's not about everybody hearing what an eloquent prayer you have. Jesus says, hey, it's about the heart. Don't forget that. You gotta lean in. It's about your attitude. But he comes back and he says, when you pray, it's a spiritual discipline. If your prayer time is about 30 seconds right before every meal, that's not a spiritual discipline that's gonna grow you, grow you up. I mean, think of it this way. What, what if that's how we treated our other relationships? What, what, if, what if you went throughout the entire day, like you, you got up this morning and got ready for church and didn't talk to your kids and didn't talk to your spouse at all. You just went about your business, thinking about everything else you needed to do, and then you drove here, you didn't talk, you just listened to the radio on the way here, and there's no conversation at all, and then came to church, came to small groups, and then you went to lunch afterwards, and, and, and you sit down to eat lunch. Right before you, you, you get your, your food, you look up at your spouse, you look up at your kids, and you go, hey, let's talk for 30 seconds real quick. How was your day? I hope it was good, and I hope this food nourishes your body. I hope you're stronger because of it. Okay, let's eat. And then you eat and don't talk with your family for the rest of the day until dinner time comes. And you sit down for dinner. And you go, guys, before we eat, I hope you've had a really great day. I hope this food nourishes your body. And I hope you have a great day tomorrow. And you don't talk at all for the rest of the night. Watch TV, do your own business. And then you go, maybe if you elementary school kids, you tuck your kids in bed. And as you tuck them in, you go, hey, I hope you sleep well. Hope you have a great day tomorrow. Good night. But you guys are giggling because that's asinine. You know, that, 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 that doesn't work. But yet for some reason we talk about a relationship with God and growing up, being more like him, understanding his heart and seeing where our heart is. For some reason we've bought into the idea that that's going to work. So understand this. Giving is a spiritual discipline that's going to grow you. So is prayer. And most of us would go, ah, I pray. I want you to think through that. Do you talk to the Lord like you talk to your kids? Do you talk to him like you talk to your spouse? And see, some of you might go, yeah, I know, but 
I've been to Sunday school all my life. I already know God knows everything, so why should I talk to him about it? I'll give you a reason. Because you see it in the heart of children. And we are children of God. This happens on a regular basis. We'll be sitting at the dinner table. We'll be driving in the car. And if, if, if I've got an 11-year-old and I've got a 7-year-old. And my 11-year-old will start, she'll tell us some story. And she has this, she has this gift of taking a 30-second story and turning it into a 15-minute um, event. Yeah, we know what people are wearing, how they were walking into the room, what they did, what they said to seven people before they actually got to the point of the story. And she, she'll tell us this, this whole story, and we listen, and uh-huh, yep, and try to track. And she'll finish, and this happens all the time. I, maybe it's just my kids. My seven-year-old will go, Dad, Rayleigh said, and she'll start in repeating the exact same story. And my wife and I look at her like, baby, we, we've been here the whole time. We, we just sat and heard the whole story that you did that you're, you're now telling us. And we like look at each other like, what's wrong with these kids? Like, you know what's wrong with them? Nothing. They want to be in the conversation with their parents. And, and the younger one heard the, whole, the older one tell a story, and she got to talk. And she got to, to feel like she was sharing communication and sharing a part of her life. And now the young one wants that same experience. Because she's going, man, I want my parents to listen to me. And I, I want to be a part of the, the community of the family. And I want my parents' blessing. And I want them to nod and hear me. That's, a, that, that's ought to be the same thing for us. Yes, theologically, God is omniscient. He knows everything. You're not going to go to him in prayer and go, Lord, this happened today, and God, wait, what? What? Well, you know, I was, man, whew, these two hurricanes are just taking up a lot of my time. I didn't realize that happened. Man, tell me a little bit. That, that won't be the experience. But as, as a child of God, prayer is us going, God, I want, I want to connect with you. And while you know everything, and you even know how I feel, God, I want to be involved in this conversation with you, because I want our relationship to grow. So when you give, and when you pray, watch your attitude, watch your motive, but understand that these are ways that we grow up. So, the applications, the what do we do's, are really, really easy this week. Here's the first one. Give. I, I, I don't have to break this down. Jesus said, when you do it, so, so you have to start thinking through, hey, what does that look like for me? And Scripture talks about, on a regular basis, the, the tithe, the tenth. And that's why most churches encourage, hey, as a part of spiritual disciplines in your life, you need to figure out how to live on 90% and give 10% back to the Lord. That is radical for most people. And for some of you right now, you're, you're already like running through your brain. You're going, I just paid bills this week. And I've got like $14 left. And I know I make more than 140, so 10% is not, not gonna work. Let, let me suggest this. If you wanna move in that discipline, 10% or more ought to be your goal, but start with 1%. If you can't get to 10 today, look back and go, okay, we're gonna start with something that, that hurts. It ought to. It's a discipline. Cross-country runner doesn't, Get up going, yay, I'm so excited about nine miles. When you, when you get the paddle on your backside that helps course correct you and create good habits, no, no, no kid is volunteering going, Mom, Dad, I haven't been in trouble in so long. I'm a little concerned. I'm just going to give you my, I'm gonna give you my phone now because I, 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 want, I want to have better habits. It doesn't happen. 
Discipline is, is difficult. And so look, and, and, and this is not about, oh, I have this, and so I can give this. It should be what percentage would stretch us as we move towards what God has called us to do. That's a very healthy and good discipline that will help you grow up. And it's going to be hard. But what you want to do is you want to get to the point where you are living with, within expectations, but also have the margin in your life that, that the tithe, that your 10% isn't all, but you're able to give over and above. Now, I'm going to tell you this because it's going to be ironic. Jesus says, keep what you do in secret. I'm not telling you this because I want you to be wowed by me. I'm telling you this because I want you to understand. And I say this on a regular basis. A ministerial income at First Baptist Georgetown is pretty good compared to most people. But it's still a ministerial income. And in our home, we have that income, and my wife works 12 to 15 hours a week, a little bit of part-time stuff while my kids are at school. So we, we are probably, from a, a Georgetown, Williamson County picture, we are probably uh, in the lower half economically. And, and, and again, I'm not telling you this because I want you to go, oh my goodness. But I want you to know, I tithe, well, if tithe is a tenth, my, my regular percentage giving is well above 10%. I keep a budget every month. And last, I did my budget for August and online sent my tithe for August. Not only that, my budget, we have another line item that is just for what the budget calls charitable giving. It's not my tithe. It's, it's 821. It's when I get a letter from a teenager that's in college and they go, hey, I'm going on this mission trip. Can you help? If I have that in there, that's the time that I get to talk to the Lord about, Lord, is this something that you want me to use this for? And I'll write a check. I tell you that to say, don't let Satan tell you it's impossible. It may be changing the way you live, for sure, especially if you're living at a certain level now, maybe changing the way you live. But I'll tell you this, I've never gone without. The Lord has always been there. He's always taken care of us. Even when there's been times like, I don't know what's going to happen here. He always does. So give. That is an application. Figure out your percentage. Do it. Here's, here's the second one. Expand your prayer life. You don't, nobody's saying, hey, go into your prayer closet for an hour tomorrow. But think, what, how much did you pray in the last seven days? When did you pray? Where did you pray? There's your baseline. Expand on that. Five minutes extra, five minutes, or maybe, maybe it's not even, you know, carving out five minutes. Maybe you just go, hey, you know what? I'm going to start on my way home from work every day. I'm, I'm going to try to spend the first five minutes in the car praying, obviously with your, with your eyes open. Um, that, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to talk to the Lord, not just my list of things, but I want to talk to him like he's sitting in the passenger seat and talk about my day. I want to tell him how frustrated I am with my boss, and I want to talk to him about what I do with my kids. I, 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 even though he knows it all, I want to hear his heart, and I want to share mine. So, so the application, give, figure out that percentage, or maybe for you, it could be both, but maybe for you it's, hey, expand your prayer life from what it was last week. And here's the third one. Maybe you're doing good at both of those things. These are just ideas. You can do whatever the Lord calls you to do, but explore some other spiritual disciplines. You might, you might go, man, I, I tithe and I give charitably, like money is not 
Money has not captured my heart. That's, again, why God tells us to give. I'm money, I'm free of the love of money. If God calls me to give it, I'll give it. Because I'm not worried about it. I'm free there. And that discipline is growing me. And I mean, I've got a pretty active prayer life. Things are going well. Well, Jesus just gave us two. There's other spiritual disciplines out there. So start exploring them. It might be, uh, again, an easy one like scripture reading. It might be exploring fasting. It might be exploring what meditation is. It might be exploring the spiritual discipline of scripture memory or silence or solitude. Or There's all kinds of different ones. I, if you go, I don't even know where to begin. You, I mean, you, you can Google and see a list. If you want something a little bit more safe, I guess, not that Google's bad, but if you go, well, I'd rather hear from somebody that knows the word and has practiced spiritual disciplines rather than somebody who wrote a Wikipedia article, come find us. I'll give you several resources. Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster would be a fantastic book to read to help move you towards some spiritual disciplines that are maybe outside of the norm. But we've got two easy ones, give and pray. Third idea is Look at what's next for you. I was reading an author, and he was talking about spiritual disciplines. And he made the comment, and I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to actually give you a quote that he said here at the end as we close. Not quite yet, though. Um, he said, he was talking about spiritual disciplines. He said, you know, what's funny is spiritual disciplines are so easy, and yet they're so hard. Right? Reading the Bible, so easy. We learned how to read in elementary school or before. It's so hard, isn't it? To carve out the time. And we go praying. How easy is that? I mean, I can walk down, I can leave here and walk down the steps and pray. I can, I can pray anytime, anywhere. And yet, hard for some reason. Fasting is easy. I mean, you, you don't eat. You don't have to go do anything. You don't do something. That's what it is. But man, it's hard. Giving. How, is it difficult to enter something, a keystroke in to an online giving or write a check? No. It's hard. And the author was talking about um, spiritual discipline of fasting during the time of Lent. And he said, you know, when I would, would practice that, he said, there, there were many years where I did very small things for Lent. I gave up. He said, one year I gave up milk in my tea. He was a, from Europe. So I gave up milk in my tea. He said, and the sad thing was, I couldn't make it all the way through Lent. He said, I finally caved in, and I put the milk in my tea. He said this, he said, it was the sweetest and yet most bitter glass of cup of tea I've ever had. And then he said this quote, I'll put it up on the screen for you. He says, when we practice spiritual disciplines, we discover how deep runs our commitment to our own autonomy and comfort and how addicted we are to the approval of others, the sound of our own voice, and the satisfaction of our own appetites. So why spiritual disciplines? Because it helps us grow up. You got easy ones. Give, pray, find some. But here's the challenge. I'm going to ask your kids to do this on Wednesday night if they're in here. Ask them to be able to come back next week and go, this is what I've done to apply, to do rather than know, to set some feet forward in this journey towards spiritual maturity.